I want to set up the scripture reading for this morning's message with a warning. It's depressing. I, I know you know this, but the Bible deals with real stuff. It's not all happy talk. The biblical writers spoke in real, sometimes even raw language about the stuff of our lives, about the human condition, about the struggles that we face. And we see this in the book of Ecclesiastes as I read the first three verses to begin with, actually the first two to begin with, of the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Hear the words. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Okay, I warned you. I warned you. And then the writer asks the question in verse 3. What does man gain from all his labor under which he toils under the sun? And then he continues his laments about the futility of life, including in verse 8 where he says, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. And then the finale of the passage, verse 11. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Wow, there's a happy note on Labor Day weekend. You work all your life. No one will remember you. It was meaningless to begin with. Perhaps we should just pronounce the benediction, go home, take a nap. Labor Day was originally intended to honor the contributions of those engaged in the tough physical work necessary for a well-ordered society. You can easily imagine the writer of Ecclesiastes who lived in a tough age and a tough time, who looked about and understood and perhaps did himself this unremitting labor of those who toiled daily under the sun, who followed in the line of generations whose work was just like that. It was unrelenting, it was unrewarding, and worse, it would never even be remembered. No wonder he asked the question, what's the point of all of our labor? We owe a lot, people like us, owe a lot to those who do life's heavy lifting. We really do. They're unsung heroes in our culture, in our world. About the only time they're honored is in the lyrics of country music. Maybe you're not a country music fan. I will admit, I kind of like it. Not all of it. But country music often celebrates the working man and the working woman. It might not be high art, but when Dolly Parton sang the song Nine to Five, and a lot of you can run that through your heads right now, it touched a lot of people's hearts about what it means to be on the bottom rung of the workplace. And Johnny Paycheck, who can forget Johnny Paycheck? 
who would want to remember Johnny Paycheck? <laughs> Johnny Paycheck was immortalized by those who worked hard jobs and who had finally decided they'd had enough and they walk away singing, take this job and, well, you know the rest of it. <laughs> Country songs are often the modern-day equivalent of the book of Ecclesiastes. Most of us here have either had jobs or have jobs that involve no indoor work, no outdoor work, I should say, and no heavy lifting. And that's no small blessing. But the question the writer asks is as relevant to those of us who do indoor work with no heavy lifting as it is for those who toil under the sun or in jobs of manual labor. What do we gain from our work? Or another way to ask is simply, why do we work? On the surface, the answer is easy. We have bills to pay, food to buy, clothes to purchase, mortgages to pay, life to live. But surely there's more to work. That entity that we place so much of our lives in and we spend so much time doing, surely there's more to our work than just making another purchase or filling the hours in the day. Surely God created us for more. In God's great redemptive story, beginning in Genesis, we indeed see how God has something more for us when it comes to our work. Our work matters to God. Your work matters to God. Your calling is as holy as my calling. Your work in the marketplace of life as a Christian isn't the second best thing you could do with your life. It's a calling of God's life on you. There's an unfortunate Christian teaching, and I've heard this, and it may sound absurd to you, but it's, it's out there, kind of silently out there and sometimes spoken, that if you're really a serious Christian and you want your life to count, the best thing you can do with your life would be to become a missionary. The second best thing to do with your life would be to become a pastor. And pastors are pretty good but since they can't stand strange cultures, bad food, and inhospitable conditions, they become pastors instead of missionaries. But that the best thing you could do with your life, if you want your life to count, if you want to be grade A Christian material, you should become a pastor or missionary or somebody that's working in Christian work. The unfortunate message continues by saying somehow if you go into secular work, you're somehow doing something less than fully Christian with your life. That's a distortion. And there are other distortions about the meaning of our work. Some Christians believe that as a result of the fall, man's own sinful nature and the decline of the human condition from the fall going forward, as described in Genesis, means that work is therefore just a dreary necessity. That's what it's destined to be. And if you say that, you're certainly right in that there were consequences to the fall. 
even consequences about our work and how much we would enjoy it and all that it would mean. The onset of sin was, was very real. But the original intent of what God had for us in our labor is still true. It still holds. It's still very real. Before we see work as a permanent curse, consider Genesis chapter 2. In the ninth verse, we're told the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then we're told in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. The ability to use our bodies to do work was one of God's great gifts. And that great gift remains. And then right away, God gave Adam intellectual work to do. He says in Genesis chapter 2, 19 through 20, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. All of that took great creativity. All of that was the good work that God did. That was just plain old good work. We're still gifted with creativity. The first key to understanding the view, the Christian view of work and what work is about is to just say right off the bat that work, our work, our work in daily life is intrinsically good. It's good when the Illinois farmer plants the corn seed that becomes this wonderful product that grows out of this wonderful black earth and that we can go to the store and we can get a corn on the cob and we can slather it with butter and we can put a little salt on it, maybe a little pepper, and we can bite. Are you hungry yet? And, <laughs> and, we can, and we can bite into that. It's because of that farmer's very good work. It's intrinsically good when a business person puts together a deal where everyone wins, where everyone gets something. And employees are paid, and creativity is unleashed, and good things happen. It's intrinsically good. It's good when a professional teacher works diligently to teach a child how to read. This is all good. It's all spiritual. It's not second best. It helps people to be blessed, even to flourish. It's a gift from God to all of us, flawed people. It's a gift of God that he still blesses our labor and he uses us to bless others through our labor. So we're to see our work as a gift, a gift from God. I'll never forget my experience of how I learned viscerally how much work was a gift of God until I saw how many people reacted and how tragic it was when so many people all at one time lost their work. 
In 2008, in the fall of 2008, I was serving in a church in suburban Northern California, a suburb of Sacramento. That area had been a really booming place for a long time. But when the recession hit in the fall of 2008, when the market collapsed, when the layoffs began, this devastation was immediate and profound in our church community. Hundreds of people. It's not an exaggeration. Hundreds of people, though it was a large church, lost their jobs within a, probably a 30-day span of time. We were in a rapidly growing suburb. And in that rapidly growing suburb, one of the top five fastest growing cities in the United States in the 90s and in the early 2000s, almost all of the economy was predicated on housing, building houses, selling houses, providing materials for houses making loans for mortgages. Uh, All of that was tied up together. And so in our church, all the builders, all the real estate agents, all the bankers, everyone took this collapse all at one time. We just saw this happen, and we we were shocked and amazed at the devastation economically through our church. And so one weekend, we announced that we're going to have a meeting at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning on a Monday. 7 o'clock on a Monday. Come here, and we'll have a time of, of prayer. We'll have a time of networking. We'll have some food. We'll just have a conversation together. And for anybody that wants to come, we'll be doing some ways, thinking of some ways together that we can help one another find employment. I pulled up to the church probably 6.15, 6.30 that morning. There was a line already outside the sanctuary. It wrapped around the building because that's where we had to have this meeting because we knew a number of people would come, but there were hundreds who came. And I will never forget their, the look in their eye, the sense of loss that they had because they knew their work was a gift. And to hear their story was to hear them say this gift had been taken away. Now I realize how much I depended on that and how much I needed that. Some of you here may have experienced similar pain in those years or may be experiencing that similar loss now. If that's the case, you know the agony of losing good work And that work itself is a gift to be cherished. In the world of the Apostle Paul, by the time we get to the New Testament, we get to the times of the life of the Apostle Paul, the concept of work had become highly distorted. In his day, it was considered demeaning fit for only those so-called inferior members of the society, those who deemed themselves superior, didn't work. In the tragic economy of that time, if you had resources and therefore slaves, other people did your work. When Paul writes in Ephesians 4.28, he says these words. He challenged individuals to steal no longer, But they must work doing something useful with his or her hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. When we hear that verse, the first thing that comes to our mind 
is, well, that must apply to the, the lazy person in the church who's just decided to quit work and isn't working. Certainly, it partially applies to anyone in the church who was not working and making a contribution. But it wasn't just for the poor or the people who we think are somehow shiftless. Paul's words were also, and perhaps first, to those people in the church community who had resources, didn't need to work. And Paul says, that's not good for you. You have to find something to do to help other people, to make a contribution of your labor for the good of others in whatever way works. But you must never not make a contribution of your labor for the good of others. Our work then, and this is really important, our work then isn't all about us. It's not all about our jobs making us happy. It's not all about our fulfillment, although work can certainly bring that. Work for us, jobs, are a gift from God for the purpose of helping other people, particularly those in the family of faith. On our worst day in the office, we can take honest satisfaction knowing that our the gift of our work, the gift of our labor, can be a source of hope for the person in need and for the advancement of God's work in the world. That's no small consolation for the frustrations that all of us occasionally or even regularly find in the workplace. I don't want to infer in any of what I've said that all work is life-giving. There are those stuck in mindlessly repetitive jobs or those locked into the bad practices who live in the day-to-day reality of a job that makes the television show The Office look good. Some people have managers that really do rival the absurdities you read in the comic strip Dilbert. It's hard to remain positive in those situations let alone see those jobs as a gift from God. I have no cures, but if that's you, perhaps it will help to know that you are still helping other people by the fruits of your labor, even if it's underappreciated in a dysfunctional workplace. The final thought of this message And perhaps the most important reason, the best reason for why we work is that our labor actually honors God. Many of the great saints of the church have commented over the centuries that all work is sacred. All of our work is sacred. That our creative work, in fact, is the honoring of God the Creator. And God can be honored in the simplest of tasks. I love the quote that Dr. Martin Luther King once made. It's on your bulletin cover. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven played music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well.
I literally, actually, one time got to meet a street sweeper who had been honored by his church and his community for the remarkable way he swept streets. It was way back in 1986. It was something of a time of another life for me. I was invited to be a part of a delegation of nine other people, ten total, who traveled to the People's Republic of China, just China as we know it, to engage in two weeks of government meetings and events with similarly situated young government leaders in the nation of China. The trip was sponsored by the U.S. State Department and the Chinese government, and though it sounds like a government junket, and by the way, it was a government junket, it was a a wonderful experience for me, and it was a trip I will never forget. One encounter that happened on that trip, which was certainly not on the uh, agenda of the journey, was that we had finally, after nearly two weeks of traveling by planes, trains, and automobiles in China, had gotten to Shanghai. And Shanghai, this enormous, incredibly huge city, clogged with traffic, I finally had the morning to myself. It was a Sunday morning. And I had said the night before to our host from the U.S. State Department that I would like to go to church. He said, well, that could cause something of a problem. He says, let me look into it, but I'll check. I don't think our hosts will be happy that one of the official delegation went to church that morning. I said, well, I've been given the name of a church that someone back in the States gave me. Here's where I would like to go. I have no idea how to get there. And obviously, if I go, I would need a translator. So if you can, that'd be wonderful. If you can't, I I sure understand His name was Tom. Tom came back to me and said, well, Bill, I checked with our hosts from the government of China, and they said, no, that cannot be a part of the official delegation. But he said, as they winked to me, if he wants to go and you want to go with him, that would be okay. Just don't tell anybody. So Tom and I, he said, oh, yeah, I'll go. I don't think Tom was a churchgoer, but he said he would find it really interesting. So we found transportation. We got to this place, to this Chinese church in this warehouse part of Shanghai where we worshiped, where Tom would lean over and translate for me some of what they were saying, and we sang hymns, some of the tunes of which were very familiar. The words, of course, were totally lost on me. And Tom would, would, he was kind of cute, Tom would lean over and says, this is a song called How Great Thou Art. I know it, Tom. I've got that one down. (laughs) Thank you. I got the words to this one. And he was really impressed by the whole thing. So we were worshiping along, and pretty soon the music ended, and the pastor of the church got up to make an announcement. And Tom leaned over to me, and he said, this is interesting. They're giving an honor to one of their church members who was just named Shanghai Street Sweeper of the Month. Uh, He thought, that's an unusual award. And the pastor continued to talk, and Tom continued to translate. And it seems that this very old man who was a part of this church, who had once been a scientist, but had run afoul of the government, primarily because of his faith, had lost his job. To find work 
he, the only thing he could find that he could get a permit to do was to sweep the streets of the city of Shanghai. And every morning very early, and you could see these people out there from your hotel window, very early in the morning, they would come with brooms and they would sweep the sidewalks and they would sweep the streets and they would pick up the litter and they would tidy up the place. And so this man was honored by his church because here is a person who was so humble that he went from being a well-known scientist in Shanghai to being a street sweeper. Nevertheless, he did his job so well that the government had to recognize that despite his faith, he would be that month's street sweeper of the month. And the church honored him for the way he approached his work. It was an incredible lesson to me. It was a remarkable lesson to me to see to see that, and then to stumble across Dr. King's quote, I thought, that's really what we need to hear. That whatever we're doing, we're called to be the street sweeper of the month wherever we work because it intrinsically honors God to do our work well. That man could be one of us. We may not sweep streets, but is your work with children? Then love them with the mindset of the one who said, to such people belongs the kingdom of God. Is your work nursing or tending to those too sick or frail to care for themselves? Then tend to them like the one who poured water into a basin and washed the feet of his friends. Perhaps your work is in accounting or teaching or teaching math, or perhaps you're a student and you're learning math. God knows about that too and counts that important. He is, after all, the one who has counted the very number of hairs on our head. Whatever you're calling, whatever you're called to do in this life, God is present in your work. Indeed, he works beside you and with you. He works as a part of your calling. Even if you're in the retirement stage of life, God is with you in the daily chores of life and the ways that you can still serve other people. Imagine with me for a moment the unbelievable number and amount of the collective talents and gifts that exists in this sanctuary this morning. And if you added up all the collective talents and all the collective gifts of the people of Christ Church, imagine how many those gifts and talents are. And probably we'll, we'll all get a day off tomorrow. But imagine Tuesday morning, this literal battalion of Christ Church people going to their workplaces going to their workplace as the very agents of God to be the blessing of God to the people with whom we work and to do creative work for the glory of God. Imagine the power of that battalion marching forth as we take our posts in the fulfillment of God's purposes for our life. The very thought of that answers the question we began with, 
Why do we work? We work for the good of others and for the glory of God. And this indeed is a high calling. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks. For those of us who are employed, would you remind us of the great gift that is our job? And on the worst day, the worst day of our job, would you whisper in our ears, this is still God's good gift and we have the right to ask that it be better, but we have the duty to say, this is still God's good gift to me. Lord, for anyone in our congregation, here or throughout our church, for anyone in our congregation who struggles without work when they need it and they want it, would you bless them? Would you find for them through the diligence of their own efforts and the networking of friends a good place for them to serve, a good place for them to exercise their creative gifts? For anyone in our community who struggles similarly, God, bless and strengthen the workforce around us. And Lord, for the way you provide so that we might provide for others, we marvel and we give you thanks. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.